once you understand what option buying involves, then you look at your long stock portfolio. What is the most traditional basic option strategy out there? Well, aside from long call and long put, of course, it is a covered call strategy. Selling calls against your stock essentially for a rental premium with the objective of keeping that premium. You're listening to Traders Insight Radio by Interactive Brokers. Find more podcasts and daily market commentary at tradersinsight.news. The following podcast contains options-related material. Prior to listening to today's podcast, all listeners should read and familiarize themselves with the characteristics and risks of standardized options, or ODD, which may be accessed through the link found in the show's notes or podcast description page. Please remember, any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to IBKR Traders Insight radio podcast. I'm Andrew Wilkinson, Director of Trading Education at Interactive Brokers, and I'm here with my colleague, Stephen Levine, Senior Market Analyst. Welcome, Steve. Welcome. Thank you so much. We'll be hosting today's program where we'll be talking with Gareth Ryan, Founder and Managing Director of IUR Capital, about the options market and the recent bouts of volatility we've been experiencing. Welcome, Gareth. How are you? Welcome, indeed. Yes, thank you for having me uh, having me along, Andrew and Stephen. You're very welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about IUR Capital and your background and uh, just kind of frame the program for us today? Yes, so I set up IUR Capital uh, 15 years ago uh, this year. We are an investment advisor focusing on the use of exchange-traded option strategies uh, in a portfolio. Very good. Well, we're very happy you could join us, Gareth. And, and we're going to be talking all about uh, volatility, the concept of volatility, what it is, and how investors use it. So it seems so far 2022 kicking off. We've just got the first month of the year behind us. It's it's a rocky year so far, and, and there appears to be a long list of catalysts that are driving this, whether it's inflationary pressure and tightening of monetary policy by the Fed, the ongoing health crisis with COVID and its variants, geopolitical tensions among them. As, as potential catalysts. It seems against that backdrop, traders with long option positions may still be relying on the buy-the-dip mentality. Recently, uh, you gave us a great webinar presentation for our listeners, and it was called Volatility Strategies for a Volatile Market, where you explored a range of related topics. And we wanted to get started by getting your insights into volatility. In your view, what is it? Is it a bad thing for the financial markets, for traders and for investors? And I guess generally, if you can tell us a bit more about how option-based strategies work in a stock portfolio. So yes, that's a, a good question to start off, uh, Andrew. We need to, as investors, we need to understand that there is two types of volatility. We have realized volatility, also known as historical volatility, and we have implied volatility. Anyone with an equity portfolio will understand, or should understand at least, what is realized volatility is, how volatile has the market been uh, recently. Then we have the implied volatility. And for any investor out there that's using options, they need to understand what implied volatility is telling us. When we look at the options market, what we're really talking about is volatility. High implied volatility means high option pricing low volatility means low option pricing. And we, don't need, we need to understand that when we look at volatility in a, a stock portfolio, we have to factor in both the realized volatility 
and if we're using options, the implied volatility, because both of those factors are driving what's happening within a stock portfolio for an investor. Is there correlation between those two? Does implied volatility have any effect on realized volatility? Well, in certain market conditions, we have correlation that means that the implied volatility will either be above or below realized volatility. We need to think about realized volatility as in, as I mentioned, what's happened in the past. But for anyone in options, what's more important is actually the implied volatility. Because as I mentioned, that high implied volatility as an option buyer means that option pricing will be higher than in a low volatility environment. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about what's been happening recently with both realized volatility and implied volatility and what's what is our outlook essentially for uh, for those two types of volatility uh, in uh, in 2022. So for simple long only portfolio holders, potentially new investors holding stocks, what, what opportunities could they therefore be missing? So anyone that's holding a long equity portfolio, as I've mentioned, it's been an interesting start to uh, uh, to the year. But we're not really of the belief that as January goes, so goes the market for the rest of the year. There will be challenges that we're going to talk about today on this web, on this podcast regarding 2022 on our outlook for equity markets generally. But when we look at these equity portfolios that perhaps have saw portfolio volatility increase in the past few weeks, we like to think of this as the opportunistic approach, whereby it's been the first time in almost two years that we've had a correction. That is, of course, a 10% decline from the all-time highs. And that's exactly what we've got for equity indexes in January of 2022. In terms of opportunities, there would be an opportunity in a 10% decline to look at adding some names to the portfolio for that long equity portfolio at a discount or at least at lower levels. But then, of course, we also have to think about the options side. Given the fact that the implied volatilities have increased significantly in the first few weeks of the year, that's an opportunity for both option buyers and option sellers. And once again, I'll remind everyone that the high implied volatility that we've had in the, the, the past few weeks, you can capture what we call a volatility premium. The volatility premium means that as a seller of option premium, you are essentially receiving a higher credit to take the risk of holding that short option position. We'll talk a bit more about that and strategies uh, as well in the, in the upcoming points. You know, volatility, it, I recall from your, your webinar presentation, you, you asked the audience whether they thought that the VIX would track above 40. Um, I thought that this was very interesting. I know we've recently tracked above 30. Um, first, uh, can you please put that number in perspective? Uh, what are its implications if it does get above 40? And, and what did your audience respond? Uh, how did they respond to that? So let's remind everyone what the VIX is telling us first and foremost, okay? Particularly for the retail investor that may have saw and heard about the VIX, but doesn't truly understand its implications and what we can gauge from the VIX. The VIX is essentially the volatility index for the S&P 500 index options. More specifically, the 30-day implied volatility of S&P 500 index options. Now, when we look at it as a metric of risk for the S&P 500, anyone looking at the VIX chart going back 10, 15 years will see that 
we're actually trading today, we're trading relatively close to the long-term historical average, which is between the low and mid 20s for the volatility index. Now, last year, 2021, the VIX was somewhat preoccupied below 20. Uh, if we look at the number of days in 2021 where the VIX was trading in the mid to low teens, you'll see that there were many more of those days than where the volatility index was trading above or significantly above that longer term historical average. When we have a VIX at a 40 handle, as we, we talked about on our recent webinar, that implies higher volatility or that we're expecting higher implied volatility for the S&P 500 index. And of course, that's exactly what panned out during January of this year. But I'll also mention one important thing. When we have a 40 VIX, we also need to look at, particularly once again, the retail investor, how long we spend at 40 on the volatility index, as in how many days is the market yeah. trading in a 40 VIX? And the answer quite simply is not a lot. Uh, on that recent webcast, we also spoke about the fact that it, we always see this near-term immediate retracement when we see that spike in the volatility index. And that, of course, tells us that at the same time, the S&P 500 index is bottoming out. It's forming a near-term bottom formation. That, of course, is exactly what happened uh, during the final few days of January. And we also need to remind ourselves of the inverse correlation between the S&P and the VIX. That means that when the VIX is, is rallying or we see a spike in the VIX, the S&P 500 index is typically selling off uh, quite sharply. And of course, you can draw a chart and you can take a look at that price action uh, during uh, January's market action. Is that, is that proportional? So if it's in the mid-teens and it goes to 40, uh, or say it's at 20 and it goes to 40, do we see that inverse relationship at the same magnitude? Yeah, so typically the, the volatility index will move inversely to the S&P 500 index about 75 to 80% of the time. So it's not entirely, uh, it's not 100% inverse in terms of its action. There are other factors involved with daily moves on the VIX. But when we have a move from 20 to a 40 handle on the VIX, that implies that there is a, a, a sizable decline uh, uh, going on with the S&P 500 index. In the case of January's price action, we had about a 13% decline. So we entered correction territory and I believe the, the lows from the January volatility, we were about 13% off uh, the uh, the highs. So what, what would an options investor do if the VIX were to reach 40 or higher? So when we have a, a, a 40 VIX, the question we have to ask ourselves is, is there more upside for volatility? That means inversely, is there going to be more downside for the S&P yeah. 500 index. As I mentioned, we had a 13% decline. We were not looking for a bear market. We have other factors going on, of course, in the world, not just the, the fact that interest rates uh, and the regime for interest rates is changing in 2022, but there are other factors we have to consider. So as I mentioned, we bottomed out at a 13% decline for the S&P. If we have a 40 VIX, as I've mentioned, in the past few moments, the retracement that we had took place very quickly. Within a matter of days, we had retested the 30 handle. So for investors, the question is, if we have a 40 VIX, are we willing to look for more upside or are we looking at a bottom formation on the S&P? And if so, that means that the VIX is topping out near term. 
And in that case, we would look at downside action on the volatility index with our option strategies. Gareth, I've got a, I've got a question for you. We, we talk about the whites of their eyes. You know, what, what's the conversation go like with a client when faced with a couple of days of headlines about stocks crashing around the world, markets down X percent, fears of rising interest rates, and you're sitting there telling the guy, this is what you should do. I want you to buy something or we're going to sell some volatility. How does that conversation go? Yeah, so with retail investors, there is an unfortunate common theme in it. That is that they are selling or liquidating positions Mm. at or near the bottom. And once again, unfortunately, that's we saw that pan out with retail investors, not just our own clients, but with retail investors in general during the January market sell-off. The most important point to make is that particularly if you're long-term with your view, January's market decline was significantly less than the March 2020 market meltdown. In fact, it was about a 30% uh, uh, sell-off relative to the size of the declines during March of 2020. That was a, a very quick and fast bear market uh, coming on two years ago now. The January price action was more realistic in terms of its its reaction to a change, as I've mentioned, in the interest rate environment. And it's also important to bear in mind that uh, the, the bottom that we saw in the S&P in January was around or at leading up to the, the Fed meeting, uh, mm. which, of course, is really where the, the catalyst for all this has, has come from. And in fact, the, the price action was also similar to that of December's market declines before the December Fed meeting. Um, but going back to the question about retail investors, yes, the, the, you know we'd like to think that retail investors are opportunistic by nature, but unfortunately, uh, with some uh, investors out there, yes, they try to manage their risk by limiting their drawdown at or near the bottom of the uh, declines in January. Others, however, were sitting with high levels of cash, and we'd like to think that they were able to take advantage of that. As I've mentioned, there were some names uh, that started the year down more than 20%. Some right. of those names were also the best performers of 2021. Uh, they have recovered modestly from the recent sell-off, uh, but we're not expecting last year's best performers to be once again this year's best performers. There will be other parts of the market that investors sh- should be looking at. They need to pick and choose, and they, they need to be nimble about where they want to have exposure uh, in their long equity portfolio this year. So, so now when when you we, we talk, let's frame that uh, the, the sell-off and there's a bounce, and then you start looking at using call options to get upside exposure. But what happens is the there's an erosion of implied volatility, which, as you mentioned, is an inherent part of an options premium. How how does an investor manage that? Yeah. So the, the there are two things in the options market. We have buyers, of course, and we have sellers. Now. When we look at selling option premium, and this goes back to the question that we asked our audience recently, what would we do with a 40 volatility? Do we think the VIX is going to hit 40? Well, if we thought the VIX is going to hit 40, we would be an option buyer. In particular, of course, we would be a put buyer. As we know, when we buy put options, any increase in the implied volatility will benefit our put option price. Of course, with call options, we are, of course, looking for upside in the underlying market. If we are a buyer of call options, or for that matter, call spreads, both of which are bullish strategies, then we have upside bias. We will participate in any bounce in the market. But the one problem that we need to remind ourselves for the retail investor out there is that we need to be right about market direction. 
as a call buyer. We have that market bias. Whereas with the option seller, they can allow themselves to be wrong with market direction and perhaps still have the chance to retain the premium. Remember that when we talk about selling option premium, many retail investors out there are only interested in one thing, and that is keeping the premium where that option expires out of the money. Uh, and we need to think about that uh, when we have those kinds of market moves. We had, a, as I mentioned, a 13% decline. There are two things you can look at. Being a call buyer on a market uh, uh, sell-off with the expectation that we will bounce, or we are an option seller. That means we're selling out of the money pits or put spreads with the expectation that we keep the premium once again, but we do not necessarily need to see an immediate uh, bounce for the underlying market. Uh, that's really terrific. And I just want to circle back a bit, Gareth, about being more nimble this year about your selections for your long equity portfolio. Uh, would you consider ETFs then being too diversified or how do you consider ETFs versus single name stocks? Uh, is there more of a risk or concentration on single stock names or uh, would you opt for an ETF or an ETF basket? So we are a proponent of using index ETFs for our clients that we advise. And one of the main reasons for that is that we can essentially distribute our risk across the index. When it's an index ETF, of course, we have exposure to various sectors and industries. Uh, that, of course, is where the S&P 500 ETF does a, well, let, we'd like to say a great job of, of, uh, uh, of giving us that access to those sectors and industries. But also the, the Qs, for example, or the IWM, the Russell 2000 small cap ETF. The small caps had a very tough January. Um, I believe they briefly tested bear market territory during the lows of January. Uh, so of course, if we're talking about being opportunistic, that's one uh, place we, we could look at. So those index ETFs are, are certainly one place that we'd like to have access to. Then below that, if we drill down, we can look at those sector ETFs. Yeah. And I'll go back to my point that we need to be nimble this year. We need to look at what areas we want to have access to. Energy, of course, we're looking for energy to have another solid year. Uh, so we look at the energy sector ETFs or the utilities or the financials. Yep. But then we also think about the growth names that were, once again, last year's best performers. We're not expecting that to play out again this year. So we need to think about what kind of exposure we want to have to those names. Single names, we can also be more selective. Uh, one thing we have to think about with single name exposure is exactly that. We have exposure to that single name. And the broader market on any given day or any given short-term period may be performing relatively well but you have exposure to a single name that has a, a corporate earnings or a news story that's coming out that may adversely impact the overall portfolio. So be nimble, pick and choose where you want to have access to with your single names. And again, I repeat, do not expect last year's performers to be this year's performers once again. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned financials. Uh, I'm thinking about the rising rates or rising treasury yields, uh, thinking that XLF, for example, uh, may be something to consider in this environment. Um, I mean, do you see the fear playing into broader market volatility surrounding rise yields? Maybe that would be a boost for bank stocks and XLF as a basket? Well, if we look at 2021, in fact, the banks had a stellar year last year. Most of the tier one banks 
had a return of 30 or 40 percent for the year. They did start out 2022 on a solid note, but of course they were also uh, somewhat caught up in the January market volatility. We'd like to think that in the changing rate environment, banks and their lending business would benefit from a change in the rate environment, but there may be some some delay to that and there are other factors involved as well. With that being said, yes, there are perhaps two or three banks that we'd like to own individually outright. And of course, going back to our discussion on options, we can set ourselves target prices to own one or more of these banks through cash secured puts. So we don't necessarily need to be acquiring these bank names at current market levels. We could, for, for example, look to sell cash secured puts 5% out of the money, which of course lowers uh, our target price on those uh, uh, on those banks. XLF also had a good year last year as a result of uh, the expectation that rates will be changing this year. Um, it's had somewhat of a, a mediocre start to 2022. Let's see how that plays out. Uh, bear in mind that XLF, uh, the components of that are not just banks uh, there are other um, uh, components in there to uh, to take a look at. Other, other other financials are related, but not necessarily banks. Yeah, correct. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure about you, Gareth, but I, I didn't learn much from the Fed in January. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I think we. Um, you know, the the Fed role. Everyone should understand their dual mandate. Uh, right. We need to think about you know the, how hawkish were they in the statement. One of the things I will say actually before the Fed meeting in January. If we look back to the very first couple of days of the year, we actually started out on a solid note for equity indexes. Right. Yeah. But then what came along? Well, we had the Fed meeting minutes from that December Fed meeting. And if we look back at the price action, it seems that that may have been a catalyst because when we look at our charts, take a look at SPX or uh, the Qs or the small caps, that is actually where we had a turning point. We had a pivot point for, for these indexes. And that's when we started to come off the highs and we started to, to um, form this, this uh, correction uh, price action. So the actual Fed meeting itself, we have the Fed meeting minutes in a couple of weeks. It was relatively hawkish. They did repeat what, what we were expecting, and that is that they'll raise rates when they need to. And we, uh, you know, we had a, a somewhat tepid reaction initially, um, but we did bottom out. Um, for equity indexes shortly after that Fed meeting. Um, let's see what the meeting minutes come out uh, with in a couple of weeks, because I'd like to uh, highlight to everyone that it's not just the Fed meeting itself, it's what those meeting minutes say. And of course, that's where we, we have to wait for those uh, a couple of weeks from now. So Gareth, I want to just pivot now to um, weekly options, which has been a, a great financial innovation. Can you can you just explain to the audience what these are, the weekly options, when they were introduced, and why do you think they've been so successful? So initially, folks, when we looked at the uh, the options market going back 15, 20 years, we had, in many cases, just one traditional monthly option expiry uh, for various products, not just index options, but for single names as well. That means that our time horizon, our minimum time horizon as such, would be 30 days going out 60 or 90 days if we were taking a, a more long-term uh, position. With the advent of these weekly options, which were introduced by the options exchanges, it allows us to be more selective about our time horizon and, of course, to manage our risk within that time horizon. Now, initially, when weeklies were introduced several years ago by the options exchanges, there would be a Friday weekly expiry. But since then, we've had a further improvement, of course, 
And now for the retail investor in particular, we have in many cases a Monday expiry, a Wednesday expiry, and of course that Friday option expiry. In some ways you could consider this more opportunities for the retail investor to acquire risk with a very near term time horizon. But we also need to factor in if we're selling options in particular, which once again, many retail investors are focused on for premium, we need to factor the risks of selling that very near term weekly option for a premium. And the fact that we will likely have more exposure to daily volatility, daily market moves. So we need to balance out the uh, those two time horizons, those very near term weekly options, and of course, those longer term traditional monthly options. There may be scenarios in certain market conditions where it may not be appropriate to be focused entirely on near term weeklies. There may be opportunities uh, to widen your horizon and allow your portfolio to have more volatility with those longer term traditional monthlies. And it would seem to me that it's not just the the the, the options volume on the weeklies isn't just concentrated on the bigger names. It's it's there are other smaller names. It's kind of now that I can do this, I'm going to do it, seems to be the mantra. Yeah, so initially the, the weeklies were purely for those index products. The liquid names were, we we see a lot of volume on any given day. Now it's expanded into these single names, which have also become very actively traded, mm. uh, once again, through retail investors over the past 12 to 18 months. And with that being said, you need to look at the liquidity within those weekly options. Do you have enough liquidity? in very near-term weekly options for single names? Uh, and if so, uh, what your objectives are with that time horizon? I would also point out that when we look at weekly options, we also need to think about the strategy we're going to use mm. as for the option selling community out there. We as a firm typically avoid option strategies which have unlimited risk. So while we talked about cash secured puts previously, yeah. in addition to that, we are essentially focused on spread strategies, which once again, provide that defined risk, defined return scenario. We, I'd like to advise clients, retail investors in particular, to avoid unlimited risk option strategies. And of course, we're talking about those uncovered options, which expose your portfolio to potentially unlimited risk as an option seller. So as an advisor, you do all the monitoring and the decision making for someone's portfolio. But what could somebody who wanted to start with options do? What should they look at? And, and, and how do you know when volatility is working for you or, or, or against you? So anyone starting out with options who has that long equity portfolio example we're, we're working with, they need to very simply understand the basics. They need to understand what calls are doing for them and what puts are doing for them. Focus on being a buyer of options at the beginning, a buyer of calls and a buyer of pits. Perhaps set up a demo or a simulated trading account so you can understand what happens when you buy a call option or what happens when you buy a put option. Then when you start to see the price action with those, then you can look at, for example, buying spreads or buying, mm -hmm. uh, uh, buying call spreads or buying put spreads. You can do this over the time horizon that suits you. If it takes you several weeks or several months to get comfortable, with dealing in options as a beginner, then uh, then you, you should focus on that before committing capital to uh, real capital to any option strategy in your portfolio. Once you understand what option buying involves, then you look at your long stock portfolio. What is the most traditional basic option strategy out there? Well, aside from long call and long put, of course, it is a covered call strategy. Selling 
calls against your stock essentially for a rental premium with the objective of keeping that premium. Covered calls have, I believe they were the very first option strategy that was most widely used going back more than 30 years now. That's where you should start out. And then once you you can understand covered calls and the, the risk return profile, then you move into the more advanced story, which is where you're starting to sell options. That means you have a short option position. You receive a premium on the opening transaction, that is a credit to your portfolio. And typically your objective is the same, and that is to keep the entire premium for the uh, for the portfolio. Uh, I, I would like to just go back a bit when we were talking about the Fed. Uh, and we had a call recently, and, and I remember on that call, you mentioned the term Beijing put. And I thought this was really interesting. Uh, we've heard the Fed put, uh, but now it seems that the People's Bank of China seems to be undergoing some kind of scrutiny by Beijing. It's 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 being more accommodative at a time when the Fed is now becoming more hawkish and removing liquidity and, and hiking rates or talking about hiking rates. Uh, so it seems these two central banks have these diverging monetary policies. Used to be, it seemed that most global central banks had a concerted monetary policy in providing liquidity or, or keeping uh, things accommodative. But now, these two seem to be diverging. So how does this influence, say, the U.S. markets and volatility? And, and is this something that options traders uh, should watch out for? So this actually tells us that the two stages that the U.S. and China are at uh, with their economies. We, uh, we, as you mentioned, we're familiar with the Fed, but retail investors understand that the Fed has provided an unprecedented amount of stimulus to the economy not just during the COVID era, but going back to 2008. So over that 10 to 15 year time horizon, the amount of stimulus being put into the economy, that essentially props up the market because you have that Fed-induced low volatility environment. Now, as we come out of the COVID era, we understand that rates will have to raise, they will have to raise rates several times this year, perhaps the Fed to of course keep inflation under control. That's not exactly what we see in China. It's a different scenario. They are at a different point in their economic growth cycle. And they need to think about providing the amount of stimulus that they need to prop up their own economy. We've heard stories about Chinese uh, developers and the amount of debt that they've accrued over the past yeah. uh, few years. And the fact that some parts of the Chinese economy are just not going to grow at the same pace that they were growing several years ago. I would say this about uh, the fact that it, this Beijing put that we, uh, we've been reading about, if it does actually pan out that they start to pump in a significant amount of stimulus, is that going to attract foreign investment? Is that going to attract foreign inflows to prop up their domestic market? The, the Chinese domestic indexes, they've also had a, a rough start to the year. Okay, uh, they're still down a few percent. Um, to some extent, yes, they do track overseas uh, equity markets, but the amount of stimulus that they pump into the market, that is going to be a major factor in how the Chinese equity indexes perform this year and to what extent they can attract foreign investment, which is equally important uh, to uh, uh, to the, the, the Chinese. Uh, I wonder if there'll be a uh, a change in, in in the magnitude in which we see those indexes. Uh, very interesting stuff. Gareth, thank you so much for taking the time for this. Uh, really, really enjoyed this whole whole podcast, whole conversation. Thank you. Thanks very much, Gareth. And we'll see you soon.
Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Gareth. As I mentioned earlier, you can learn more about this topic in IUR Capital's webinar presentation, Volatility Strategies for a Volatile Market, along with other great webinars from Gareth at ibkrwebinars.com, as well as his market commentary at IBKR Traders Insight at tradersinsight.news. Thanks for listening to Traders Insight Radio. As always, there's more content at tradersinsight.news. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. Options involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. For more information, read the characteristics and risks of standardized options, or ODD, which may be accessed through the link found in the show's notes or podcast description page. Any discussion or mention of an ETF is not to be construed as recommendation, promotion, or solicitation. All investors should review and consider associated investment risks, charges, and expenses of the investment company or fund prior to investing. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, as necessary, seek professional advice. Interactive Brokers LLC does not have any interest, affiliation, or relationship to the interviewee, their employer, or related organization. The views and opinions expressed herein are those of the author and do not necessarily reflect the views of Interactive Brokers LLC, its affiliates, or its employees. Interactive Brokers is not affiliated with and does not endorse or recommend any third-party investment information, advice, services, or products discussed in this episode. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and as necessary, seek professional advice.